Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. So let me talk quickly about the story of the Bible. It began with creation. It was wonderful. Creation was perfect. And then it went downhill fast. By just the second generation of of humanity, there was murder. And ever since the fall of humanity, it's been about what God is now doing to reconnect. And today in our story, it's the climax of that storyline of the Bible, the kind that we get a two-for-one kind of deal today. And they say nothing's free. So you're welcome. The the two-for-one is this. That today we are going to highlight the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, and highlight the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Bottom line, today is the ultimate storyline of the Bible, God at work in this world and in our lives. You see, Jesus came to earth. He continued the work of God in a very dramatic way. Jesus did all this amazing stuff. He healed blind people. He set prisoners free. He helped people who were disconnected from society. He gave people truth. So on a variety of levels, Jesus was doing the very work of God. And the 12 disciples, they loved it. And people who followed Jesus Loved being around him. But after three years of this public ministry, Jesus came to them and said, I'm going to go away. And this bothered them terribly because they thought, well, if Jesus goes away, then all this great stuff that God is doing in the world is going to go away. So the Gospel of John records Jesus telling them, look, I am going to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send someone else to help you. And Acts chapter 1 tells us a bit about this continuing work of Jesus just because He's gone from the earth. Just because He died, resurrected, and ascended back into heaven doesn't mean that God's activity in this world is over. No. It continues just as God meant it to be. God is still calling people to have a relationship with Him. He is still calling people to love each other as He meant for it. He is still helping people who are disconnected and in need of hope. God is still opening up lives and He's still calling individuals just as He did throughout the Bible calling them, calling us to partner with Him in this world, to do what He's doing. This church exists because we have felt the calling of God, that God has called us to do something beyond ourselves, to operate in a power beyond natural abilities, to be used by Him so that others can be reconnected to God, so that captives can be set free. Where does this come from? If Jesus is gone, how is this going to continue? Well, the Bible tells us 
in Acts chapter 1. The author writes, in my former book, Theophilus, any guesses on what the former book was? Luke, how did you know that so well? For those of you who haven't been with us recently, it wasn't that long ago that we did a two and a half year study on the Gospel of Luke. But how awesome. There's nothing better than to study the life of Jesus, to learn from Him. The former book was the Gospel of Luke. So Luke writes both the Gospel and then this, the book of Acts. And he writes to Theophilus, which we understand was a benefactor. It's probably somebody who covered all the expenses for Luke because he was not one of the original 12. He was, in fact, a medical doctor. Covered all of his expenses to go and search out all the eyewitnesses he could find that had encounters with Jesus during his earthly ministry. What did this look like? How did you feel? What was this experience like? Then what happened? How did others respond? So Luke is continuing that story, if you will. And he says, in my former book, that means in the gospel, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So Luke's gospel, just like the other gospels, highlight, center on Jesus, who he is, what he taught, what he came to do in dying on the cross for us. I wrote about all of that until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. So that means after the resurrection, after Easter. And gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. No less than 11 occasions we are told that Jesus reappeared to folks. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, they go together. Luke's gospel tells us about how Jesus gave us his life. And in Acts, he shows us how Jesus gives us the power of himself. And Luke tells us, as he's referring back to his gospel that he recorded for us, and and again, that wording was, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So what that is exactly are Jesus' works and his words. Now, some people really like Jesus' works. They say, oh, look at Jesus. He's, He's feeding the hungry. He's giving sight to the blind. He's playing with children. We love that. What some have resistance to is not so much Jesus' works, but His words. Words like, I am God. I am Savior. I am the Creator. I am Judge of the living and the dead. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The conflict, the controversy is over Jesus' words. So we read the Gospels, we look at all that Jesus did, and we say, that's amazing. Look how Jesus loved and served and gave. But don't overlook His words. 
Who he says he is is ultimately why he died. They didn't put Jesus to death so much for what he did, but for what he said, claiming to be God. He's making claims that no one else makes in the history of the world, saying that he is the creator, the redeemer, that he is God among us. And if we disagree with him, we go back at his works and we look at those and say, is this the kind of man who would lie to us? Does he have the kind of character that compels me to not only admire his works, but to trust his words? And that's exactly what Luke is saying. He's setting it all up around Jesus. When it comes to Jesus' works, it's his sinless life. It's His death and our place for our sins. It's His burial and resurrection that encompasses the the majority of Jesus' works on our behalf. And then He tells us that we can turn from our sin, that we can trust in Him, that we can find forgiveness and hope and eternal life. That's words and works coming together. Then Luke continues in the book of Acts, showing the the implications of the resurrection of Jesus and what the still-living Jesus does to and through His people. So he begins by telling about Jesus' life, and then he transitions to telling about Jesus' power. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 8, it's very clear. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, Jesus' life and power are not just to be admired. A non-Christian, a non-believer can look at the things that Jesus said and did and admire that. But only a Christian can look at Jesus' life and power and experience it. How many of you have looked at Jesus' life and thought, well, that's an amazing life. He had no sin. He never took advantage of anyone, never stole anything, never was inappropriate with women. He was always generous, always told the truth. He suffered nobly. How many of you have looked at the life of Jesus and just admired it? Okay, that's good, but that's not enough. Jesus doesn't want you to admire His life. He wants you to experience His life through the person and presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So after Jesus rises from death, everyone's excited. What do we do now? In Jesus' answer, verse 4 we saw just a moment ago, His answer is, wait. Wait. Because the Christian life cannot be lived apart from Christ's power. You see, Jesus is not just an example for us. He's the one who empowers us to follow His example. Again, Jesus tells us in verse 8, but you will receive power. The Greek word for power is dunamis, the same from which we get the English word dynamite. Power. That means when the Holy Spirit shows up, you know it. There's power. 
Things happen. Things change. The Christian life is that kind of power, that kind of supernatural God-given power. And you can't understand the power of the Holy Spirit apart from the life of Jesus. So that's what Luke's telling us. He's saying, okay, Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives without sin. He dies for your sin. He raises from the dead. He evidences it for 40 days and he tells his people, don't go and do ministry yet. Wait, because you need power. The Holy Spirit is coming and he's going to cause you to be like me. So in the Gospel of Luke, there was this perfect relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in his mother Mary. Remember at Jesus' baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven. The whole Trinity is there. Here's Jesus, God the Son, coming up out of water. And who descends on Jesus? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. This is to show publicly that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, that He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why this is public, so that everyone could see it. It wasn't so that Jesus can understand this. He already knew. It's so that you could understand. Now, this was either all true or some of the most arrogant statements ever uttered in the history of the world. Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. He suffered by the power of the Holy Spirit. He persevered and loved by the power of the Holy Spirit. He engaged in spiritual conflicts with the demonic realm by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed. He trained leaders by the power of the Holy Spirit. He humbly, for the first 30 years of his life, went to a job as a carpenter, serving in a small town in a poor family by the power of the Holy Spirit. He died still filled and led by the Holy Spirit. You see, using Jesus as an example, a spirit-filled life is not one that avoids suffering. A spirit-filled life is that one that when you suffer, you can suffer well. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will allow you to go around suffering. Sometimes He moves you through it. He'll get you through And that was the case with Jesus. Jesus, we would read elsewhere in the New Testament, was raised from death by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that same section, it goes on to say, this is Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God, that same Spirit of God, that same power who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. Lives in you. If you're a believer... The Holy Spirit, that same power lives in you, so we don't just admire Jesus' life, we get to experience Jesus' life. And all of this, friends, is for mission. It's not just so that you and I can be better persons. This isn't so that we can achieve our full potential, be all you can be. This is exclusively for the mission of Jesus. As we read this in the next section of Acts 1, beginning at verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's right where they were. In all Judea, that's the larger region. In Samaria, that's the neighboring region. And to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going and suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. These are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven By the way, that explains where Jesus is today. Why all of this? Here's the deal. It's not about your mission. It's not about my mission. It's about His mission. A lot of people have a mission. They want to use Jesus for their mission. Jesus, grow my business. Jesus, make me healthy. Jesus, fix my family. Those aren't necessarily bad things, maybe even things Jesus would approve of, but we've got to be careful. We're never allowed to use Jesus for our mission. It's Jesus' mission that we're to be a part of. So as a church, you need to know this. We're supposed to be on His mission. Our mission is to simply do what He told us to do. Do you get that? And he said that we would be his witnesses. That's the mission. So let's talk briefly about his mission. Number one, it is under his sovereign rule. He ascended back into heaven. Right now, Jesus is seated on a throne. So Jesus' entire mission is under His sovereign rule. I'm not in charge. Jesus is. You're not in charge. Jesus is. The whole mission on earth is under the ruling, resurrected, reigning Jesus seated on a throne right now. Number two, Jesus' mission is the expansion of His kingdom through the church. You would read later, if you kept reading in Acts, by the time you get to chapters 2 and 3, that Jesus doesn't start a bunch of organizations. He starts one living organism called the church, and Jesus' mission is the expansion of His kingdom through that church. The goal, the goal of the church is always people meeting Jesus So we're talking more Christians and better Christians, more churches and better churches. That's the mission. And number three, Jesus' mission is for all nations. Jerusalem, right where we are. Judea, a larger region. Samaria, the neighboring region. And to the end of the earth. The end of the earth, that's kind of a big request, right? And you think, you know, you think about all over the earth, there's people that have their own religions already. And we're supposed to go there and tell them, either we or send others on our behalf, and tell them that they're worshiping a false god? 
Isn't that hate speech? Isn't that intolerant? You know what's the most loving thing we can do? Is to tell people about Jesus. That's the only source of hope that there really is. That's the only source of salvation. It's the only true source of the forgiveness of our sins. It's the only way that we're going to be empowered to live life here without guilt, shame from past and everything around us that's sinful. The most loving thing we can do is to tell people about Jesus. It starts across the street. It extends across the world. As we go back to Acts 1, the final question for today is, how long do we do this? That was kind of their first question, right? Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's not for you to know the time when I'm coming back, and here's why. Jesus wants us to be less concerned with His coming and more concerned with our going. It's been 2,000 years, and some would say He is awfully slow about coming back around. The Bible says He's not slow. He's patient. He's wanting everyone to come to repentance. So we're going to continue to press forward by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this requires our witness. 39 times in the book of Acts talks about us being Jesus' witnesses. And you know, there's a lot of reasons why you and I would not talk about Jesus because we're afraid of opposition, ostracism, criticism. We are to be His witnesses. That's praying for people, loving people, serving people, but also speaking to people and talking to them about Jesus, co-workers, family, friends, neighbors, enemies. This is what we're commissioned to do, to be witnesses wherever God has placed us, a witness to the person and work of Jesus. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.